Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech and language pathologist. And I'm Kate Hensler, developmental interventionist. How are you, Miss Laura? I'm great. How are you? Well, I'm good. Indiana won today for a change. I'm happy. Yay! They've they've not been doing well. We've had three straight losses. Yeah, they're hurting. But anyway, they pulled one out, so that was good. That was good, and I watched UK claim another victory yesterday, and I think we'll be number one again since Syracuse lost yesterday, so yay! I know, I was kind of glad Syracuse went down, but I don't know why. (laughs) Well, who cares as long as our Wildcats and Hoosiers are doing okay. That's right, that's all we really care about. Well, today is January 22nd. It is my dad's birthday, so happy birthday, Daddy, if my mother makes you listen to this show still. So wanted to, I've already talked with him, but thought that would be kind of funny if he happens to be listening when my mother listens, but she doesn't listen live anymore. She listens on Mondays, so maybe oh, wow. they'll get a chuckle out of that tomorrow. Uh, I did want to mention, <coughs> excuse me, a couple of things that have been on TeachMeToTalk.com's Facebook page, and I think I've forgotten to do that with the new year. I I don't recall doing that in the last couple of weeks, but I wanted to point out a couple of things that are on there. First of all, I always link really great um, ideas that therapists can use in therapy sessions uh, with toddlers, usually ages one to three. And so if you are looking for some crafty kinds of ideas, those ideas I always link on the Facebook page. Secondly, I think I'm going to start shooting little snippets of my own videos to put on uh, the Facebook page with Therapy Tip of the Week, or maybe, I don't know, we might come up with some of their, some cuter name than that. But lots of times I think that therapists sometimes even know what kind of toy to use, but they may not be doing the full range of how you could really use a toy with a toddler to target uh, receptive and expressive language. So I wanted to give that little plug. Hopefully we'll get that up and running this week. Other things that are on that page, now we're switching laptops. I hope I can do this. Other things that are on the page, uh, there's a link to... um, an article on TeachMeToTalk.com's website about eye contact. Maybe we did talk about that last week. Did we talk about that a little bit, Kate? Do you remember? I think it, I think so, but I wouldn't okay. agree it. But I think so. That article's on there, and you can if you just if you're on Facebook, if you want to click on that link, it takes you straight to my website, and that's a good one. And I hope we use that. Um, for a show topic in the next few weeks, if we ever finish the resolution series. <laughs> so Good thing we didn't on... make another resolution to get through topics faster. <laughs> We'd really be hurting. Uh, I, I no longer make resolutions that I can't realistically achieve, so that I wouldn't even dare put that one on there. Mm-hmm. There's another great article from a, a website called Stress-Free Kids. It's about why kids are aggressive. And it's kids biting and hitting and scratching, and it really applies to our language to late little kids because all toddlers can be known to be aggressive when they are backed in a corner and feel like they have no other options. But certainly our friends who don't even have words yet, and especially our little friends that are also struggling to keep their sensory systems regulated, really sometimes have those aggressive behaviors that are so hard to manage. So that's a good article about that and and thinking about the reasons that our babies and toddlers might resort to physical aggression. So I thought that was great. I posted that there. And then yesterday I posted the proposed revision for uh, DSM-5 for the definition of autism spectrum disorders. Kate, have you taken a look at those? The new proposed I have not. Changes. I, I heard it on the news that they, it's being proposed, but I do, don't really, I haven't looked at it, and I have wondered, what, what does it come down to? What's the big difference? 
Well, lots of professionals and parents are really kind of up in arms about this because they're thinking that uh, this might lead to fewer children being diagnosed. Right. And in some states... how they led led the story on the news. (laughs) Yeah. And in some states, fewer children diagnosed with autism, I think by some professionals, would be a welcome change because some states, I know from visiting there and doing conferences that... The therapist in the audience felt like that it was overdiagnosed, and certainly our friend Melanie has talked about that in Ohio. And Melanie even posted on this um, on this post on TeachMeToTalk.com's page and said she has seen lots of variation between the three states that she's practiced in, between Kentucky, Indiana, and Ohio. And what it takes to get diagnosed in one state isn't necessarily what it the criteria for another state. And and then someone else said that she thinks that the whole diagnostic process seems to be subjective. And I thought, well, boy, don't we say that on the show every single time we mention diagnosing autism because it it really is subjective. And so the new new criteria, I don't really want to get into that because – That's not the topic of tonight's show, but this is the thing that I really liked about it, Kate, and it really stuck out to me. One of the additions that they've added in the social, um, emotional or social reciprocity category and the whole engagement, um, you know, is one of the core deficits or one of the core difficulties that a child who goes on to be diagnosed with autism exhibits, and this is how it clarifies this, and I know you're going to love it, and I love that this is your first time to hear this, because I I want to hear your reaction, but I know it's going to be the same as mine. It says, deficits in developing and maintaining relationships appropriate to the developmental level beyond those with caregivers. Don't you Mm -hmm. love that they clarified that? Right. Because so many moms and grandmas and babysitters (laughs) and even sometimes therapists will say he can't possibly be on the spectrum because he connects with me. Children with autism don't, don't have a connection with anyone, so he can't possibly be on the spectrum. And that is just a big myth. And you say this every time we talk about autism, too, and about the whole relationship with with the babies that we see and the toddlers and the young preschoolers that we work with. Sometimes those kids are hyper-connected to their mommies because that's their – that's their lifeline. And so you have to look beyond those family relationships. How does that kid look when he's in a group of peers? How is he trying to interact with people in the grocery store? How were the therapists who came to evaluate him? Did did they have to do backflips and break out in a sweat and really work to get that engagement going? You know, that's not normal. Toddlers who don't struggle with social connections are pretty connected and you really can have great exchanges even without words because they're looking at you and smiling at you and it it goes beyond language and I have another example that happened today that really illustrated this point so beautifully to me I live in you know a little town outside of Louisville we don't really use the word suburb here but in other parts of the country Shelbyville where I live would be considered a suburb of Louisville and we were in the line there and we have a pretty big Hispanic community in in the town that I live in and the the people in front of me um, were really struggling to communicate with the cashier I mean boy they did not speak or understand a word of English apparently without much difficulty they were having and I could not see the baby. I did not really know what was going on with their baby, except I knew that my daughter, who's 15, was having a ball, <laughs> making eyes at that baby and smiling and hiding behind the baby's dad. And, of course, the dad didn't know she's doing this because he's trying his best to get his card to work, you know, and do all the things to get his bill paid. And so Macy was popping out behind the dad and playing peekaboo with the baby, and the baby was laughing and smiling and giggling. And probably uh, the baby was 14 or 15 months old and just had the grandest time. And, again, I couldn't really see the baby except every once in a while the dad's shoulder would, you know, he would move a little bit. But I thought even without language, you know, apparently this baby doesn't speak the same language or won't because, you know, his parents were 
well, for right now anyway, is really don't have competency with English. And, of course, Macy's doing all her, hi, hi, baby, oh, look at you, and peekaboo and all of those things that we say. And she's got such great instincts. But I thought, boy, that whole social piece even goes beyond whatever language that you're speaking. And that connection was so present and there and so it was just really interesting to me because that baby had never seen Macy before Macy had never seen that baby before but it was just amazing to look at that and and really reinforce in my own mind about how typically developing babies are very 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 social for the most part and so again when I was thinking about this and the whole social piece and how lots of moms miss that because they're connected with their babies. You've got to really look beyond that and truly objectively quantify how strong those social uh, awarenesses, those episodes of awareness and interaction are, especially with people that aren't familiar. So that was just my whole point about that. And so I'm glad that that part's clarified. Now, again, I know that we haven't really had time to pick apart um, – this new proposal, and it is still a proposal at this point. It is not um, officially adapted yet, but I did want to mention that. And, and just from reading that part, I thought, boy, that's a great, you know, no matter what else happens about this, I hope they leave that language in because I think that that's such an important clarification. Don't you think so? I certainly do, but it's interesting because, and like I said, all I know of it as I heard it on the news and I thought, oh, I'll have to figure, you know, read it and see what the change is, which I haven't done yet. But to me, that sounds like it would allow for more diagnoses, not fewer. You know what I mean? So obviously yeah, there's more to the the changes. Oh, there or, is. Yeah. yeah. there. I mean, and I understand there are, instead of, remember before, I think the criteria is that you had to have six out of 12 or you know, looking at the big list, they still have those categories. There's still three categories, three or four right. categories. And, again, I don't have it right in front of me. And, I, you know, please don't send me nasty grams if you're going to say, gosh, you got that criteria wrong. I'm not even looking at that document. I'm going by memory right now. And it ju- it's pretty – it's more um, – you know, you have to have, like, two out of three or three out of four of these bigger things. One thing that they are clarifying, too, is that you have to have stereotypical behaviors or severely restricted interest. And before, I think that was maybe those kinds of categories or those things didn't necessarily have to be present, and now they're saying that that is a part of the autism spectrum diagnosis. And I just want to say a big old, yeah, boy, is it. (laughs) And I really don't think kids who don't have stereotypical behavior or repetitive behaviors you know, there may be a better diagnosis for those kids than autism or, you know, autism spectrum disorder. I think that's a hallmark um, diagnostic criteria that kids would have that. Now, sometimes parents might miss those. And, you know, we just had this happen with this conversation about a little guy that we both see who does some things that maybe his mom doesn't always recognize as stereotypic behavior. Or repetitive behavior until you really point it out, and then she says, "Oh yeah, yeah, you're right." And so again, sometimes it might be more subtle, or a mom might gloss over it, and a professional might say, "Gosh, I really would classify this as a repetitive movement or a stereotypical behavior." So again, I, I like that that piece is required now, and mm-hmm. I think that it. I think that it will really cut down when autism is used, is misdiagnosed or not used. But I certainly know there are parts of the country that it's really difficult for a kid to get an autism diagnosis. And so in those parts of the country, I think that professionals and parents are really going to feel even more upset Mm -hmm. because they feel like the screws are tightened even more. So I know there are pros and cons. I just wanted to point out that one thing that I love (laughs) And who knows how it will eventually, you know, end up. But but we'll see, you know. And we're in a city that it's not so easy to get a, an autism diagnosis. A lot of the kids that I've – let me just say this. Every kid that I felt that got the diagnosis at two 
really needed the diagnosis too. I don't know that I've seen an overdiagnosis problem here. You might have had a different experience with that than I have. My situation with with the children that I've worked with on my caseload, especially in the last 10 years, has been that some children that I really felt were on the spectrum at two did not get the diagnosis because the team or the professional or whoever wanted to wait and see. I mean, they they still called it, you know, receptive expressive language delay with sensory issues, with blah, blah. You know, it might have added three or four other little quirks on there and all added up. Boy, it looks yeah, like, like autism all the to things me. that define autism, but not the, yeah. not the label. Feeding, uh-huh. Yeah, feeding issues, you know, uh, gut issues, you know, just all the things that would add up to that, but they don't get the diagnosis at two, but then, and we've talked about this before, I hear from their mothers later, and they say, oh, my gosh, yes, he he finally was diagnosed in kindergarten or in first grade or wherever it happened to be. That's been more of my experience. Have you, Yours has been similar to that, Kate, or do you think you've had some kids who were maybe inappropriately diagnosed? I would agree with your general analysis that, in general, I have had a couple kids that I really was convinced they should have gotten a diagnosis and didn't early, and then, like you said, later, they get it. But I don't know. I I think it's a very difficult subject, and it's a very difficult subject to talk to parents about because I I always start out with it's a very gray area. It's hard to, you know, I can't predict what other some other professional is going to say, nor am I qualified to diagnose a child, so it's always kind of like spinning the wheel and seeing how it comes out. But um, generally, I'd say I generally agree. If anything, I've had more kids that I thought did would qualify for a diagnosis, and they didn't. And then ultimately, as they get older and get into school, yes, they get a diagnosis. So Right, right. You know. Usually yeah, and cer- yeah, and certainly parents have written me on, you know, sent me comments and emails from the website and then just emailed me, and professionals have shared that too, that when that happens, that's a little disconcerting for parents because then they don't know who to believe. They don't know who's right. And, boy, I have certainly been on teams that it's been so, so devastating for um parents when they get the diagnosis, but I also feel even worse for the parents who who uh, a professional rules out autism at two and then later down the line, and usually it's me, the lone wolf, going, mm-hmm, I'm not so sure. I think maybe it is. Yeah. I'm a little, still a little worried here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is in a worse situation to me where it's um, – not diagnosed, and then they they get it. Because sometimes parents then blow off therapy or really think, well, dodge that bullet, we're okay. I'm not right. going to take this nearly as seriously. So that's why it's so important. But anyway, all right, I, we have blah, blah on long enough about that. So I'm sure that will be a future a, a topic for a future show. Yeah, we might but have I to just, get one of our local psychologist professionals on here to discuss too. that with us. I think so, too. I think we should get it both on, whatever the other. I think that would be good. (laughs) I think that'll be great. So maybe we can line that up, too. You see them more than I do lately, so you'll have to work on that angle. You'll have to be the show booker for that. I will do my best to see if we can't make that happen. (laughs) That sounds great, yeah. But but that's certainly something that we're all going to be talking about and thinking about as early intervention professionals in the next well, we think about it and talk about it all the time already, but now we'll just have a new angle on it, you know, that new diagnostic criteria. So, all right, let's move on to tonight's topic. Tonight we are finishing up. Oh, you know what? We have a caller. Oh, yay. Their microphone is muted. I don't know if they're just trying to listen in or if they want to talk. Let's just see. Hi there. Hi. Hello. Hi. Did you- how are you? Hi, this is Jane again. I don't know if you remember me. Hi, Jane. How are you? <laughs> me again. Good. Um, You're our favorite guest. We love to have you back. What's going on? Well, good. I was like, oh, they're going to say it's me again. <laughs> no. Um, anyway, I, uh, I'm i fine, and I'm just, as always, coming here to 
update things, and you know, I think it helps yeah. other parents. I don't know. Um, but um, I just would like first to thank you guys from the last um, call that I did, and you guys are so gracious uh, towards me, and I really Aww. appreciate that. Aww. So. Um, I just I just wanna I was listening while you guys were talking and I just wanna give um my two cents on this new news that we had. My uh-huh. son was diagnosed when he was fifteen months uh fifteen month old. Actually eighteen, but he started early intervention when he was fifteen. Uh-huh. So um And he was diagnosed yeah. with autism right off the bat? Yes, because okay. um unfortunately or fortunately, even with the new change he applies to all of them. Right. Um, and right. on the time, it is 12 of assessment uh, tests, and he just passed two of them. Um, right. So I, un- I understand the concern of some parents, but to me, it really is a huge difference when you see a kid with Asperger's and my son. And sometimes right. I don't consider that child um, autistic because, uh, yes, it's true, they have some social difficulties, but they don't have the core problems that autism right. really gives a child, which is language and cognitive skills, fine motor skills. You see pretty much Asperger's kids doing everything, you know. Right. They can just don't know, understand the social play of things, but, you know, I wish right. I wish my son would be like that, you know. I know, right. I know. You know, and that's why autism is called a spectrum disorder, meaning that yes. you have lots of different ranges of abilities and different strengths and different weaknesses. And even though something might be... Um, even considered kind of a mild weakness in one kid, mm-hmm. another child with the same diagnosis might really struggle with that. And I think that's what you're mm-hmm. talking about. You've seen some children who were also diagnosed as being on the spectrum but that have less difficulty with some of the things that your little guy is really struggling with. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't I know that... They wanna, uh, to me, I saw that they, you know, with the, that new proposal that they made, it um and it's ready available at the internet. Um yeah. and it it it's it, to me that is the core of autism, the new one right. that we are proposing. That is the core. And, I, and then of yeah, course and I we have that many then maybe they could create another category, I don't know. But to me yeah. if you talk about autism, that to me is the core what they said there. And um anyway, but um Yeah, and I think that was the whole point, is to try to really make it a little less subjective and a little more, a little tighter on who really meets those criteria. And and I love the way that you're wording that, the core deficits, and and so that they can more quickly. You guys talk many times, sometimes mothers, they don't want to see that, or you arrive in a house. I always remember you because I have that, even I was discussing with my husband because they say, oh, He's saying more that and that I said, but that is not language because language is what he says by himself, not us right. prompting him. And and he said, oh, okay. Um, and <laughs> I I agree that, but it is pretty devastating when we receive the diagnosis. But I think as mothers, we ha- at least me, I chose not to be in denial. Right. It is very important not to be in denial. Because we have to be advocates for our child. Exactly. And I think you have to look for support. Like what I did on my early intervention um, program, I don't know if you guys have that with yours, but they have a social worker, and she comes right. to my house throughout a week to talk with me. And maybe your early intervention has that, and maybe your hospital has that. Um, right. That's twice a week we don't have life. that, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, we don't have it. We don't have twice a week, so you're getting. Did you say twice a week, or did you mean twice a month? Oh, twice a month. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's important not to be in denial, and you know, work your issues, but not to yeah. be in denial, because that that's the dangerous thing. But anyway, Lucas, right now, um, his, you know, I I took your advice and I stepped back a little bit. I said to you last time that I was feeling that I was forcing him too much. Right. And I was trying to, you know, do what you said more and more and be more, you know, patient in the sense that don't require so much from him. Right. Right, not so much pressure. Yeah, yeah. So I think 
what I can tell you is that the crying over asking him something stopped. Yay. So he's not anymore, um, like, you know, on the start of things, started to cry. Of course, he's autistic, so he's still, you know, look at the light and don't pay attention to us. want to run from the activity. Um, sometimes he gets frustrated and he wants to bite us. Right. And But the way it was before, like I could do nothing before. It was like I would take the ball and he was already, okay, I know what you're going to ask. I don't want to do it. Right. He was, ref- yeah. he was automatically refusing because he knew that was yes. too hard. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so what I can say is really, 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 we can see now a change from one month from now is that uh, it makes me so happy to say his receptive language improved so much. Yay! Improved so awesome. much. I mean, and to me, really, right now at this point, I don't care that he's not saying that much. He's, he's saying even more now than before, but what you know what I mean. But yeah, to me, it's what you said once in the books. All they say is, if they don't understand, they cannot speak, and they have right. to understand. And to right. me, when I say, oh, what do you want? Oh, you want to, okay, go to your chair, and I'm going to bring your food. And then he goes to the chair, and I'm like, oh, my God, he went to the chair. <laughs> <laughs> you, you understand know? language. Yeah. We're laughing yes. with you, not at you, because that's how we go when the yes. kids we work yes. with. They they get the message. We're like, he got it. Yeah. Yes, oh my yes. gosh. And, and, yeah. and, and it's, 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 and I think that's what is special about us moms with these kids is that we take nothing for granted. Exactly. And every little thing that he, I see that light, you know. Right. I see that light. Right. In the end of the tunnel, I'm like, I make a party, you know, inside myself, you know. Yeah. And he also started to get better at the speech in the hospital. You know, she's still, you know, struggling to find things that he likes. Right. You know, we noticed that on the 40 minutes of the session, he's already like, I'm done. But uh-huh. he's so much better than before. And uh, another example of, of a sexual language that she has this vet, little vet hospital that has many animals in the doors. Oh, yeah. We and know they, that toy well. Yes. <laughs> And he's, they stay locked, right? And each door has a collar. Yeah. And uh-huh. she gave him the key, you know, that many keys together. And she, and she didn't point him or anything. She said, Lucas, I want the blue key. Let's get the birdie out. Look at the blue key. And he just looked at all the, you know, the keys and looked for a minute, searched for the blue, got the blue, and wanted to open the door. Yay! Yes! 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 You got it! You know? And 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 she touched me. Wow, he's really understanding more. Really, yeah. I said, yeah, he's he's really understanding more. And and some words that he used to have many problems to speak, like yellow. We we noticed also that he's saying pretty much you can understand yellow. You know, green. Uh-huh. He's saying perfect green. He's saying perfect. Yeah. And. We, we he he's using the packs now beautifully. We now oh that's great. The, yeah, he's we just give the book to him. Don't say what do you want to play, and he flips through the book, and he gives something, and then he's starting to say the words. Oh, you want the ball and hammer? And he's like, ball, hammer. You know. That's great, Jane. So, that is great. So you know, you know, he's chill a lot. He's chill. I can say that. Less than five words by himself, but he's trying to speak so much more with props, you know, and with the text. So that's great. And that's so much more than he. Yeah, and that's so much more than he was able to do three months ago, four months ago when we first talked with you. And he was even having, you know, again, you've pointed out just that he's not refusing now, just that he's not tantruming and crying when you're trying with him is huge in and of itself. And then you've got the receptive language progress on top of that. Sure. He's on the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These days, it's like one day the therapist got in the door and he was pushing her out and said, "Bye, <laughs> bye." And he was communicating. Yeah. 
<laughs> and she's like, look, I just arrived. You know, but, you know, he That's gets cute. over it. You know, he gets right. over it because I think, and I think also, you know, we are now in the process of getting out of early intervention to go to the school. And, right. you know, he's been doing early intervention for a year now with all these ladies yeah. coming going twice a day, you know, every day. Yeah. And yeah. plus mommy, you know, working yeah. on him. So he's been kind of, you know, it's, it's, he, I think he needs a change now. He needs. Uh, yeah, he's ready. Uh, he's ready. Yeah, he's, he's ready for to that next level. More. Yeah. Right. But, um, you know, he has. But what is nice is that, you know, we, we say to him when the therapist goes, okay, say bye, you know, to me so and so. And he's like, bye, okay. Give her a high five. He gives a high five. Give her a kiss. He gives a kiss. You know. Yay. You know, and. And it's nice when you when you can have that impact. It's nice when I put him to sleep, you know, and I say, give right. mommy a kiss, and he gives me a kiss. Yeah, you that's know. awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for calling and giving us that update. We certainly love hearing great news like that. Yes, and, you know, I just want to say to parents, it's a, it's a labor of love, you know. It's a labor of love. It's, what? it's not A labor it's of a labor. love, she says. Oh, yeah, okay. a labor of love. It's, it's yeah. a tough, it's tough, it's very tough. Nobody thinks it is easy. tough, yeah. But yeah. Um, I think I chose, I chose to be for my son and not to feel sorry for him. Right. So, and I'm here right. to help him. So we have to always remember that. And we always have to remember also to be advocate for our child. If you think your child has that, you have to push for it. You know, we cannot Exactly. Well, I love what you said about not, I chose not to be in denial. I mean, that's, yes, because, that's a great statement. Because, yeah. Laura, what is important to say to parents, many, many people came to me when I was feeling something was wrong, when he was pretty young, pretty young. Uh-huh. And they would say, oh, no, he's fine. He's, you know, he's a baby. Oh, he's right. a boy, you know. Right. <laughs> We've heard it. Yeah, and I talk to somebody else and oh no, you're just you know look at him, you know. And I said, No, something's wrong. You right. Know? And then you have to realize in that moment, do I wanna go forward and help my son or do I wait and lose time? Right. Know? Right. You know, but it, it is tough. When you sit in that chair and you see your child failing task after task and if it's something right. that's going to come out of that. So, but, you know, and I think he, he's now having the result of all this work that we've been right. doing for a year, you know. Right. And that's so. so great that you're celebrating his progress and his successes. And you still are realistic in that you know, boy, we've still got some work to do. But I love that you're recognizing all the nice changes that have happened. And for you, it's not just about expressive language or what he's saying you're recognizing all the all the things he's learned to do and you're realizing the importance of those things and how those are foundational skills for eventually using those words so nice job thank you so much for calling and sharing that story with us and i know that that's inspirational for other parents so that they can hear his progress and um hear your take on that because a parent's perspective is totally different than what Kate or I can talk about because we haven't lived that like you have. So thank you so much for sharing that with our audience. And one last thing is you have to be out there and see other kids, how they are doing things, you know, and then you see the difference, you know, because I see babies that are 15 months old that do twice more than my son does. Right, right. And but it is important. It's, it's it's sad, but it's important for you to have a check. You know, right. What is what is missing there, and keep right. working on that. You know, right. So anyway, I appreciate you guys, and um, just you know, keep doing what you guys are doing because you guys are great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you thanks so for much. the update. Keep us informed. Let us know how he does getting into school. Thank you, guys, and uh, happy new okay. year for you guys. Happy new year to you. Happy Thank new you. year to you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, that was so good to hear from her.
I really like that she's embracing the whole receptive language thing. It sounds like she's oh, kind well. of had a emphasis switch, and it has benefited her child greatly. Yeah, and she said now he's saying more than when she was really solely focused on hearing those words. Now, when she went back and made it about his interaction with her and a little less pressure, just modeling, and then making sure that he understands, that's when she started to see the progress. So, boy, what a big lesson. Right. And it's so good that we say it all all the time, but, boy, isn't it nice for a mom to come on and talk about it. Well, now she's seen it, you know, and I guess that's yeah. the thing. We've seen it with other children, but when you're trying to convince one individual parent or mom or whichever, right. it really isn't just about just talking, and you do begin to emphasize those foundational skills. And that's what happens. Everything comes along better anyway, but it can be a hard sell sometimes. And I think that, yeah. you know, not I don't think, I should say, I know because this is what I hear, you know, day in and day out. Parents tend to really hyper-focus on the talking. That's what they Mm -hmm. embrace. That's what is the most obvious to them. You know, Johnny next door talks a blue streak, and my child doesn't talk or has four words or whatever, has very, very limited speech, and that's what they cling to and they worry most about. And for kids on the spectrum, that just really isn't, I get that it's terribly important to parents, but you really have to start where the deficits are, and that mm-hmm. does not start with talking. So Right. She she gets right, that exactly. now, and she had a paradigm switch, and it's it's helping her son. So It's she, really paid it's off. It's so cute when she said, and he went to sit in the chair. <laughs> like, <laughs> but haven't you lived that with a kid? Oh. And then she gave, oh. yeah. Hopefully I know, every and day. then she. I mean, it's like I got it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm always someone clapping, going, "Yay!" And I love it when a mom gets it like she does. Mm-hmm. And then she gave that great example of his therapist at the hospital. You know, we need to find the birdie, get the blue key, and she gave him the whole key ring, and lo and behold, he found it. And then the therapist, oh, I think he's understanding more language. I mean, yeah. I would have been jumping up on the chair, going, "Yes, yes, yes!" But that's just. A little personality difference, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but what a nice call. I'm so glad that she shared that. Yeah. And it's so topical. And really, that that call, we should be talking about number six tonight with that call, which is the sixth resolution in that resolutions for therapy well, to work with young to children. It. What is it? It's I'll work the hierarchy for treatment with toddlers. And the hierarchy is talking comes next, last. You know, kids have to be social. They have to connect with people first. They have to understand language. You have to think about their receptive language skills all before you start to really focus on expressive language or talking. And so many therapists, again, sometimes I do think that they, especially in early intervention, because the thing that early intervention uh, programs focus on is we will follow the parents' goals. We will address the parents' concerns. And that's what therapists will say. They'll say that to me in conferences or they'll write me that on the website and they'll say, but I have to work on expressive language even though the kid's not social and doesn't understand a word because that's what the parents want. And I always say, gosh, you know, you as a therapist have really missed the whole darn point. Because until you get a kid developmentally ready to learn how to talk, he's not going to talk. And so it's when it, when a therapist is telling me that, I say, man, you know, not only are the parents off in this situation, you are too because you're not even realizing well enough that you're at fault for not explaining why what you're doing really is working on expressive language ultimately. And so you have to think about language development as a hierarchy or a foundation or a pyramid or whatever symbolism you want to use, but it all begins with interacting with other people and caring about that that back and forth reciprocity or reciprocalness or whatever word you want to use there too. There has to be that basic I want to be with other people well before a kid is ready to talk and then 
Jane just said too, kids have to understand words before they're able to use them to talk. And those are just core beliefs that every therapist who works on communication in early intervention has to embrace and has to know and has to defend and has to educate. And so if you have a parent on your caseload that's still hyper-focused on talking, some of that is back on you. You know, you've got to do a better job explaining why that's your long-term goal but not necessarily your short-term goal or your short-term focus. And again, when, when therapists tell me this, I think, my goodness, no wonder that parent doesn't understand it because you don't understand it and you're the professional. <laughs> and so, I mean, this is something I'm passionate about. I could talk about this 24-7 every day and almost do. <laughs> but you've got to really, really, really believe that and 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 have that be the core your one of your core beliefs or one of your central philosophies is that I am going to teach parents how language happens and and teach them the steps that go into that so that they aren't focused on the wrong thing because Jane was such a beautiful example of that when she was only focused on talking what what did her kid do nothing he cried. He refused to interact with her. He wasn't linking meanings of words with things because he was getting too darn mad. He couldn't do it. And when she backed up, made things more fun, less pressure, and focused more on receptive language and more on, again, meeting him where he was, that's when he started to make the progress. So as professionals, we have to do a better job of talking to parents about that and really believing that and being able to back that up with what we do in therapy sessions and explaining why it's relevant and explaining, yeah, me trying to get him to interact here and follow some directions, that is working on expressive language because he's got to get these things first. And some people just automatically assume that parents understand the connection between receptive language and expressive language, but oh boy, most of the time, I would say 98% of the parents <laughs> don't unless no. you spell it out. Don't you think so? I do. I also think that it's um, easier somehow to be in denial or overlook the receptive language def deficits, you know, all those reasons that we've used with these other resolutions about well, he's just being difficult, or he's being bad, well, I mean, or he's behavior. not yeah. to, or, you know, he's not interested right now, but sometimes he, there are lots of other ways to interpret that lack of follow-through on, you know, whether or not a child's understanding, and I think the expressive is more concrete. They either say the right. words or they don't, and I get that, and I will say, Laura, I have become much, I'm going to say better, certainly more, um, committed and deliberate about discussing the hierarchy and trying to explain that to parents. And it, it can be a hard sell. I mean, you know, it's parents don't really want, they want to, it's easier to accept, let's say, and I get this, right. it would be for me too, it, that this is just about talking. And when you begin to talk about the other deficits or the other issues or the other areas of weakness, you know, then you're just, kind of it's not it's not necessarily an easy conversation to have and right. it can be very uncomfortable for the therapist and for the parent and I I get sure. that because I live that but I totally agree that it is absolutely imperative that we go there even though it is uncomfortable even though it can be a hard sell and sometimes yeah. it's something you may have to visit and then revisit and then revisit mm -hmm. it's not like boom they've got it and they they buy it you know and I and I right. I totally understand that, but I am much better about it because I think I understand it more fully, and I think it is terribly important that parents get that, just like Jane. Had she not finally gotten that, she'd still be pushing the talking, 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 and her child would be fighting it and right. would not have made the progress that he's made when she switched emphasis and she said, okay, I'm going to make this about receptive language. I'm going to make it about having fun when we play. I'm going to make it about play skills and you know all those things that really do lead into talking when she right i don't know lately i've been thinking when you now here's what i really think you need to come up <laughs> with some kind of handout 
And I was thinking, like, there's this house, and, you know, the talking is the roof. And everything else is underneath yeah. that roof line. I know. Um, you know, that's the foundation for it because yeah. it's, it's hard see, to... Every, everything, but as early interventionist, everything we do in sessions... If a parent only cares about expressive language, and I don't mean only, but, you know, really I kind of do. When you have parents that are so hyper-focused on talking, you have to be able to give a short sentence summary of why what you're doing will ultimately lead to talking. And so you link every single thing you do, every word you teach, every activity you introduce, every gesture you model, every word, sound, anything that comes out of your mouth has to be linked to their ultimate goal, which is talking. And you've got to be able to explain that in a way that, one, is believable, and two, you're not doing it in such professional lingo that a parent blows you off because they think, oh, my goodness, she's in a way being condescending to me by using all those words that she knows I don't understand. And you've got to make it, um, again, important and make it make sense. And so you have to be able to do all that. You have to be able to say, look, the reason that we're that I am saying to him, get the key so you can unlock the door is, if he doesn't understand what key is, I realistically have no hope of him being able to say that yet. I need him to understand the word key well before we would want him to to say it. And you need to be able to explain that. You need to say the reason I'm teaching him these signs is so eventually he will say the word. That's why I want you to say the word three times, four times, five times when you're modeling the sign too because one day he's going to say the word. That's why we're using the sign with the word. When you're singing a song and trying to get his attention, you say, Mom, (laughs) the reason we're playing this game or singing this song is he's got to connect with other people first. If he doesn't want to connect with me, he has no reason to communicate with me. And so this is our very first step in eventually helping him learn how to talk. And so you link every single thing you do to expressive language. And if you're not sure how to do that, maybe you should take the day off and think about (laughs) why you do what you do or plan your scripts or, um, you know, watch some DVDs or read some therapy manuals. You know, I've got a whole line of resources that will help you with that. Or listen to some old podcasts you know, that we've done, because you should be able to justify everything you do toward that ultimate goal. And I know a lot of therapists, we really know a lot more than we're able to articulate with parents in a way that makes sense to them. I mean, you might have been able to regurgitate some information for your exams. (laughs) You might even be able to talk about it on the phone with your friend or write it in a report, but you have a real hard time boiling it down to a level where a parent really gets it and understands it. And if that's you, then you need to practice and you need to have a friend like, I mean, mine and Kate's whole friendship was built on this <laughs> back and forth about what to say and how to, how we thought about things and how it made sense. And it was, it's so good when you're not a speech pathologist to have a friend, or when you're a speech pathologist to have a friend who's not a speech pathologist. Because, and, a, and an outspoken friend like Kate, who will <laughs> flat out say to you, that does not make any sense. I don't know what the heck you're talking I about. I say that. <laughs> yeah. What does that even mean? Are you sure? (laughs) You know, and you, I mean, really, as a professional person, that's when you get really great at your job. When you can totally explain what you're doing in a couple of sentences so that it makes sense to a parent, so that you're connecting the dots for them, because they don't automatically get it. Even highly educated parents don't get it and don't get the whole why you work on the hierarchy and why we why we don't just jump right into talking with a kid who's not who doesn't even want to be with people. And yeah, you're going to still talk to him, you're going to still model language, but your big goal for that kid is to really consistently interact and your next goal is for him to understand some words, follow some directions, let you know, gosh, these words have meaning. And then 
that's when you start to focus on expressive language. And there's some other little sub-goals and sub-things in there. You know, cognitive skills are so closely tied to receptive skills, and we have not talked about that today. But when I'm talking about receptive language, we're really assuming that kids have met those cognitive prerequisites. And, again, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, (laughs) Chapter 5 of Teach Me to Talk, the Therapy Manual outlines all of those cognitive prerequisites that children absolutely have to be working on or have mastered before they are really ready to understand and use words and and all of that stuff. Again, these are things that as a therapist, it's somewhere in your brain you know it, but when you watch a lot of therapists write goals for kids or do therapy sessions with kids, there's absolutely no evidence that they understand the hierarchy. And so you've got to go back and put those things in your practice and make sure you're doing what you know and that you're able to explain it to parents in a way that makes sense so they believe you, so they want to work on what's important and will will trust you and will reinforce your uh, work with their child. Okay, off the soapbox, your turn, Kate. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that um, in defense of those therapists, when you look at the goals, or outcomes, as we like to call them in Kentucky. Um, And I've certainly been guilty of this. I'm far less guilty of it because I think I'm a little bit braver about speaking up, even when it's difficult to do it about this. But um, sometimes it may be not necessarily a reflection that the therapist doesn't get it, but the therapist lacks the nerve or the gumption or the strength or whatever you want to call it to say it when those outcomes or goals were written. You know what I mean? Right. I'm sure there are sure. plenty of times, because I've been there before, where they're saying, well, Johnny's going to use 40 to 50 words so that he can communicate his wants and needs. And I'm sitting there thinking, 40 or 50 words? He doesn't even understand kidding? 40 or 50 <laughs> words. How in the world yeah. are we going to, you know, now... Right. I pretty much say it. I may not say that he doesn't understand it, but I go into my little dialogue about, well, really, we have to be sure that he understands what we're saying to him. And and I make that right. a specific outcome. And I right. make his play skills a specific outcome. So that at least from the get-go, parents aren't lulled into thinking that, poof, he's going to have 40 or 50 words, and we're talking about a child who truly does not understand 40 to 50 words. So right. I do think there are lots, and, and some of that is they may be younger, they may be less experienced, they may be just more timid-type personalities, but all of us need to dig deep and learn how to put that up out, out front so that from the beginning parents understand that it isn't a simple fix oftentimes and what all right. involved and where the emphasis really should appropriately be put. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, mm-hmm. we are all about getting them to talk, but you can't go there if the child just really isn't at all ready to go there. So Right. They have to be ready. And, they, you know, it's, it would be just, and I, I tell parents, it would be just like me saying, um, okay, he knows how to walk, so he's going to be in the Olympics next year and run. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot, just because he can, you know, walk doesn't mean that he's necessarily ready for that. And so a lot of therapists may even take a skill and, again, not be able to explain all the things that have to come first. And so we want to be sure that we're spelling that out. Even if you live in a state where they let the, where they don't let a therapist go in and add outcomes beyond what parents have have generated there, you can still say to a mom, look, talking is our long-term goal here, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there are lots of other things that we're going to work on first, all to ultimately support him being able to say words, but that really is farther down the road than uh, either of us would hope, and so let's talk about the things that have to come first. And those conversations, again, I get that it's hard for for therapists to have those conversations. I get that. But if you don't do it, who's going to do it? Right. Who's going to, Who's going to share the information? And, again, sometimes you have to revisit it. Just because you say it in the meeting doesn't mean that a mom has even processed it. 
I think sometimes parents just kind of glaze over at those meetings because it's too much. It's too much information. Goodness knows a lot of times parents don't read the reports. I mean, how many times do we talk about that, Kate? I think that was a conversation we had this week or last week where you said, boy, I know that information. I know that um, the primary level evaluator scored that kid way down in cognitive skills and the mom had to have read that. And then we both said, but she probably didn't read the report. Right. You know, or she read it and she didn't understand it, and that's not her fault. Right. You know, she just didn't know how important it was. She might not have understood what all the words meant. She might have gotten the report and just flipped over to the back to see what the therapist recommended about services. She might have just thought, man, this is way too hard for me to read today. Well, yeah, and in her defense, you know, it was written the way that all of them are written now with the standard deviation business and... I'm sorry. Who understands that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Parents barely understand it. I mean, I when mean, I explain I think... it in when I explain it in conferences, sometimes I can look out in the audience and see three or four faces that look like, oh my gosh, I understood this for the very first day of my life. Right. Now, would therapists really admit the that? No. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's hard stuff. Right. I mean, we don't do math. That's why we're baby therapists, <laughs> you know, and that whole standard deviation, that's statistics. That's really hard. Right. So well, and what your they don't said was, like, well, I did something when I was, because I, we, we were beginning that conversation about where our emphasis was going to be and all the things that fed into language and why these were important and um, and this is an inter- I mean, not an in- unfortunate, really, case where the child, by our standards, is very old. And so I feel a lot of pressure to really share everything I can because I'm seeing her four times. In just times. a few weeks. Right. Yeah. So it's oh, kind of like, well, right. the only service I can really hope to really provide is to help the mom see things more clearly and more accurately. But anyway, because right. I said something about the report, and she said, well... I mean, I didn't really know what it said. It had all those negatives because this child had, you know, negative 2.33 standard deep, negative 3.33. I mean, the Ugh. the numbers yeah. were bad, and I think she got, based on what she said, that those negatives were bad. I kind of prefer when it gives an age range where it tells somebody right. whose child is 35 months old, your child's functioning at the 12 to 15 month level. That they get right. is bad. Right. When you say negative 3.33, it's like whatever. That doesn't really say too much to most normal people. Well, and a lot of programs only want you to report those statistical differences like that and don't want you to use age ranges anymore. And then when you look at the research, now they're saying that the age ranges aren't as valid you know, when you really get down and dirty and start measuring those things. Um, and one of those reasons is because, you know, even when we report age ranges, we're reporting when 90% of children have achieved the skill. And so that's one reason they're saying that the age ranges aren't valid is because of the whole averages part. You know, it's not really, even if you said the kid was functioning at the 12 to 15 month level, really typically developing 12 and 15 month, your 12 to 15 month kids are still probably light years beyond where that school range is. So, who knows exactly. how that's all going to work out? <laughs> Our job, see, though, is to really explain things in a way that parents can understand it. And, you right. know, I mean, 10 years from now, they may have a better system for that. Who knows what that's going to be? I like age ranges, too. But even even knowing when you're telling an age range to a parent, keep in mind that is the very bottom right. limit. And I've thought of, that before, too. Yeah. That, oh, really, right. I would expect a 10-month-old to be able to, you know, understand this, right. respond to this. But at right. least it gives them some idea sure. of really sure. how is my child functioning. And even if it's inflated and, and realistically it's a little higher than the child's functioning, right. it sure right. says a lot more to most parents than negative 2.33 standard deviations exactly. below the mean. I mean, that really doesn't exactly. say too much. So anyway, exactly. that's the way it is, and that's the way the. I'm not knocking the people who do those tests. They don't really have a choice. That's the way they're They don't have a choice. To, yeah. yeah, that's the way they're yeah. told by the state they have to do it. But it right. doesn't really mean much to parents. And and we just have to be able to explain that. And even sometimes, even when we're explaining these things to parents and using these numbers, sometimes therapists truly don't know what those numbers mean. Sometimes therapists are really, really shocked. 
when I say, you know, on a test like the PLS-4 or, you know, now it's the PLS-5, on a test like that, at, to be two standard deviations below the mean at three when you are when you are turning three into a school system, you have to score way down at the one-year, nine-month age equivalency. Uh-huh. And when you say things like that, you know, therapists are kind of like, oh, they didn't really think about why lots of children may not have qualified for services. It's because they, you know, they fall in that gap. In that, thing. Or they don't really realize that the only children that they're allowed to serve according to eligibility requirements in their districts are children that fall in the first, second, or third percentile levels. They don't even, you know, and we always think about the, uh, you know, I still think a kid functioning at the 10th percentile needs services, but he doesn't get it because Mm -hmm. he didn't meet eligibility requirements. And so, again, even as therapists, even when we deal with these numbers every day, sometimes we still don't really internalize what those numbers mean, that a kid can be in the 8th percentile and not qualify for services. How crazy is that? Or the 5th percentile, you know, if we line up Mm -hmm. 100 three-year-olds and and 96 of them, 90, you know, Four of them, 93 of them did better than him. We still can't see him because he's technically above the cutoff. And so, again, you have to really look and know what you're talking about when you share test information and when you share um, results of tests so that you know what you're talking about and so that parents get it. But, yeah, back to our point about you've got to be able to explain all these things in a way that, Whatever parent you're dealing with understands, and if that's a parent, even and and don't take for granted that super educated people ab- know what your lingo means because they don't. <laughs> and so again, you've got to be able to use real life words so that they get what you're talking about, so that they ultimately understand that everything you do is related to expressive language, and you've got to be able to make that connection and tie that in. Um, so we have talked about tonight. Resolution number six. Boy, I hope I can go back and change the title of the show because it was nothing like it was supposed to be, but that would be about half the shows we do. So this was number six. I will work the hierarchy for treatment with toddlers, meaning that we're going to work on the foundational skills and that we're going to explain that to parents so that they know what we're talking about. And, again, if you have not – if you're a new listener or a new reader of a – my website at teachmetotalk.com, I don't quite know what that is. That's fully explained in Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual, so get your hands on a copy of that. Next week, we're going to talk about what tonight's show was supposed to be about, and it's um, resolution number five, and remember, we're still, this is our third show, or tonight was, with doing, um, talking about resolutions for therapists who work with young children. And it was, I will develop tunnel vision when it's needed, or tonight I wrote mostly, (laughs) to decide how I can best help my client and family. And so next week we'll talk about what that means. And that's a little controversial, too, in this day and age of the primary service provider where one therapist is supposed to do everything or a consultative model where you're not really supposed to be real hands-on with a kid. And we're going to talk about how tunnel vision sometimes is your best option for what you can really offer a family, and and I'll explain what I mean by that. So that's a little tease for next week's show. Uh, Any parting words for today, Kate? No, I don't think so. Well, I want to thank Jane again for calling. That was such a nice surprise tonight to get an update on her little guy and how they're doing, and I love it when a mom shares good news and we get the privilege of following a family the first time she called she did call about play skills didn't she i think that's right uh-huh yeah when we were doing that show on play and she was saying he has no pretend play skills and guess what he's not even interested what can i do and remember she said oh he likes thomas and we said well then do everything with thomas and really gave her some really concrete examples so then his play got better and then she called us back the second call was about him crying and refusing to say words. And our advice was, back off a little bit, model, 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 and work on him understanding well before you expect him to say it. And so, it's again, it's so nice 
for the things that we talk about every week. And this isn't even a mom that we know. I wouldn't recognize her if I saw her in the mall. We don't know her. She's calling from a completely different part of the country. I don't recall uh, where she's from, but wherever she's from, it sounds like they get a lot of services there. So uh, She's in the Northeast somewhere. Mm-hmm. I can't remember New York, New mm-hmm. Jersey, somewhere like that. But, right. um, again, it's so nice to have a mom listen and follow through and share her own experiences. So we certainly appreciate her update there and Jane keep it up we want to hear from you in in several months after um, he gets in school and hear how that next chapter and that next phase of his life and your lives go so I think on that note we will call it a show sounds good all right talk to you next week bye okay thanks bye Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.